I was a failure. I was a failure and I get very sad and depressed about it and I can't be that no more. I really feel like I've betrayed myself big time because I think when I, I know when I was growing up I had all the potential in the world. Now I'm, I'm back to being Mark who, who has a beer in his hand and is thinking about the great American script and the great American movie and this time I cannot fail, I won't fail, it's not in me. You don't get second chances and mess them up, you'd be a fool to. Not just finishing films or in the long run getting some money, but it's right now, I feel like it's like I said, five, 10, 15 years ago, now I've got the same options again, and this time I'm not gonna fail. This time it's most important not to fail, just to drink and dream, but rather to create and complete. Honestly, I thought that he was gonna grow up to be like a stalker, a serial killer, or do something where he would try to plan someone's death, you know? And unfortunately, sometimes that idea that it might be mine, Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. hello. This week, American Movie, the now legendary 1999 documentary portrait of, to me, outsider art broadly, but specifically about Mark Borchardt. I don't know if I'm saying that right. In his attempts to make a movie, uh, which ended up being the 1997 short horror film Coven, or as Mark calls it, Coven, mm. which we have uh, <laughs> all watched as well, I hope. Um, I wanted to talk about American Movie way back, like last year, last spring or summer, and it was not online anywhere. You couldn't watch American Movie on any streaming platform. You couldn't rent it. You could watch it in like 15 parts on YouTube, but that was it. So it came up again the other day, as it does, and... We noticed that American Movie is now on Criterion. You can rent it on Prime. You can rent it on Vudu. So it's back on the scene, which made me feel very, very good because I love this movie. Another movie we talked about uh, back on the Vampire episode, Near Dark, the 80s vampire Catherine Bigelow-helmed film, one of my favorite vampire movies of all time, the now Academy Award-winning Bigelow deal, Catherine Bigelow. When we went to do that episode, that was on Criterion, and then it left by the time we recorded and, and published the episode. It hasn't been online anywhere since. There's like a weird version on YouTube that's kind of hard. I wouldn't really expect Just hit Shutter. Yeah, it's it's on Shutter now, as is uh, Shaitan, which we talked about recently. That was only on like one or two rental platforms. That's now on Shutter. We talked about Manhunter just recently on our Hannibal episode, that was a rental at the time. That is now on Shudder. Yes. So yes. That, all, that makes me feel like we're on the right track. Do you think they're listening yeah. to us and then putting the movies yes. that we talk about on it? We are influencing <gasps> Shudder, wow. obviously, Good unquestionably. We are bringing you the things that you should know about. You can trust us if it's not readily available when we talk about it we're not leading you down the wrong path it probably will be available we do our best to talk about things that if you're into film and if you're into horror film you want to see and you want to know about so i was very surprised to find that kevin had not seen american movie and i'm i was kind of jealous that he was going to see it for the first time kevin what did you think about american movie 
Yeah, just like taxi driver Trent, you're outing me now on like a weekly basis. <laughs> um, well, I think this might be the best documentary of all time. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably not. But it's definitely <laughs> one of the most honest that I've ever seen. It was at no point did you feel like Chris Smith, who directed this, was like exploiting things or egging on the characters in the movie. He was just capturing what was happening. So like you said, Trent, it's following Mark Borchard, I think is how you pronounce it. At least in some of the interviews I watched, it's capturing him trying to make Northwest a feature film. And he fails miserably at that. So he decides, you know what, I'm going to use this momentum, which I don't know how that's momentum. And I'm going to finish Coven, the, the short film. I, I watched this so many times. I watched it too. I fell asleep last night watching it again. I was trying to get home to watch it a fourth time. I love this movie. Uh, I'm going to purchase this movie so that I can watch this and it will lift me up or wow. drag me down as mm. the movie does simultaneously. <laughs> sure. But yes. on, honestly, you watch documentaries, especially ones like this, and you can kind of pick up on where they're fabricating some scenarios or they're exaggerating things. And this, I feel like, is you are literally watching all the things that happened in real time, in real life. And I appreciated that. It, it, it's not necessarily like a happy movie. Um, but like I said, it's just very honest. And I, I needed some of that this week. So I appreciate the pick. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Even not documentary, just any movie. I just love uh, just the tone of this movie the underdog story of this movie. Um, it says a lot about class. It says a lot about um, the American dream. And that's why I love it. It's, it's called American movie. Um, it, it's just Mike Shank. Mike Shank is my fucking hero. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I actually compared Trent to Mike Shank uh, in his editing skills this week on some of our um, our movie pitches um, he did some really tight editing, and it reminded me of at the end of the movie when Mike Shank has uh, got the tape, and he's explaining like eight hundred thousand zero. Then you have to go to eight five zero zero eight one, and he's like is on top of stuff because he's kind of you know he's out of it the whole movie. He's my favorite character. I've been searching all his music since uh, watching American Movie like for the sixteenth time this week, and. Um, I just, I just want all these guys to do good. I just want them to do what they want to do and do good and, you know, be able to survive like we do as, you know, like artists that are trying to do something and come from like a small town. Like, you know, all of us know that kind of vibe because we're from Portland, Maine. So, um, Kat, have you seen this before? I had actually watched it um, when we had talked about it before because my roommate at the time was like, oh, yeah, I got that downloaded on my computer. Let's watch it right now. So I'd seen it before. Still just as sad. I mean, it's, it's so great because when I first watched it, I really, I didn't think these people were real. Like, well, I thought they were just like acting like they were but then slow i mean very quickly you find out that that is not true they're very much real people and that's exactly how they operate um i just it's it's sad because this guy you know he has such a he has such a vision you know and you hear from all the people like 
you know, his family and like the people from his past that he's always had this vision. Then there's like that sad moment when they're like, yeah, I just thought maybe he was just going to become like a serial killer or something or like he was going to do something real fucking weird and like or you're going to find out about it on the news. Um, He's obviously got some, you know, alcoholism issues. He still lives with his mom and he's got like three kids and he's got that weird like ex-wife and then they're like swearing in front of the kids but he's got this hot older girlfriend she mommy of (laughs) joan Joan. good old joan um i don't know it's kind of it definitely has like it's funny parts where you're like oh those those crazy kids but it's mostly i don't know it was just kind of a bummer it's a beautiful movie i really love it i was happy to watch it a second time um but i do really love mike he is definitely my daddy of the week with his little mustache i feel like it transcends like because of him telling everyone the whole time they need to follow their dreams and have a purpose and live for mm-hmm. something and in the end he kind of delivers on that uh, yeah. If you think about it, like uh, even Uncle Bill and Mike Shank and Uncle Ken Bill. Keen and Poor all these Uncle guys, Bill. they're all eradicated for all their efforts uh, in the end because you think of how far this movie went based on their characters. Or you their say pe- they're, they're, they're people. You know? mm-hmm. They're eradicated? Well, yeah, like they vindicated? did all this. Vindicated? Vindicated, yeah. <laughs> I've been vindicated. They're yeah. also, a, well, Uncle Bill is eradicated at the end. That was the sad, I think, I think Uncle Bill was like the saddest part for me because I don't know. I just couldn't tell how m- much he, he was being like taken advantage of by this. Nah. You know, you I don't know. Singing? You hear him singing? He was singing the saddest fucking song. So just to, just to back it up a little bit. So the movie is about Mark Borchard. You said, Kevin, I like that pronunciation. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah. I, mean, I, I feel like he might not even pronounce his own name correctly in the movie. He doesn't pronounce his own so, movie. Like, he right. So <laughs> I don't trust so, him. So this, this is a, he's about 30 years old when this takes place. And it was filmed in the late 90s, 96, 97. It came out in 99. He's a struggling independent filmmaker and he's trying to make this movie called Northwestern. This is his sort of like blue collar sort of lost soul, lost town type. And um, the documentary film American movie starts out showing him making Northwestern, but he doesn't get very far. In fact, it's kind of sad, like by the third production meeting for Northwestern, nobody's there. Mm -hmm. So he decides he's going to finish the short film Coven, or as he calls it, Coven, Mm -mm. that he started like three years before. And so he has this whole cast of, this is very, very hard scrabble, very outsider art. He has this whole cast of his friends and his family and like these local playhouse actors that he used to, he does these Halloween radio shows where he scripts and people come in that are anywhere from total novice actor to, I loved the guy, uh, was it Robert Richard Yorg? Oh, yes. Oh my Richard God. Robert Yorg. He goes oh. by the three names. He has the yeah. scarf. He, he oh. really sees himself as like this, you know. He's an actor. Yeah, an he's act a thespian. Yeah. A thespian of the Rust Belt. Yeah. He looks like he was going to show up in like House of the Devil or something. Yeah, so everything is very catch as catch can and by the seat of the pants. And the thing about this movie to me is that I honestly found it much more inspiring at the time. I saw this like 2000, like as soon as it hit DVD, I saw this movie and I found it a little bit more inspiring in terms of outsider art 
against all odds at the time. But now when I'm watching it, I'm, I'm watching events that took place 25 years ago. And the only movie that has ever come out of any of it is Coven. So, you know, yeah, at the time... Yeah, not done. Yeah, at the time when this came out, you thought, wow, he, he won, he succeeded. This, he does finish the movie. It's a 36-minute movie. And that is available online. We'll talk about that. He, he finishes the movie, and it plays at the local theater, and there's a line out the door. And, it, you know, it's sort of a happy ending in that sense. But when you think about the fact that that was 25 years ago, and he never did finish Northwestern, which, Kat, you talked about his uncle who was financing a lot of this being taken advantage of, who actually left him $50,000 in his will because he died shortly after they finished making this movie and before American Movie was released. What happened? What did he do with that? Years, what if he killed him? Maybe he did. I, uh, I don't we know. We got to make a sequel. <gasps> but we got to make a sequel to American Movie where he killed Uncle Bill. That's my movie pitch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but my so my question is if this is inspiring and if we are to embrace this this vision of outsider art where are the rest of the movies it's mm-hmm. I what what else? I think I mean, he's well, been he got, busy on Letterman he was on Letterman he was, a bunch he was, he was, he was like, on Letterman in 2017 that's not that long ago yeah. Yeah. so long and after American movie Kevin sent me some uh, links to some interviews with him talking about horror movies and stuff. And you said he, he knows way more than us, which I didn't I don't necessarily agree with that. But maybe me. <laughs> um but yeah, he's he's still doing stuff. He's still like He's doing stuff. Into, he's you know Joe Para on Adult Swim? Mm-hmm. Uh, he is in he's at the bar in Milwaukee in an episode of that. Oh shit, really? Yeah, yeah Joe Para Joe Para talks with you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god. Yeah, so he does a lot of those like types of appearances in mm-hmm. Milwaukee. He just he's a guy, yeah, who who appears on things, but he has never made another movie. But he's shown up in like The One, which is like the Jet Li Jason Statham like action movie. Uh, showed up on Family Guy. He had a role in Cabin Fever 2, which was directed by Ty West. Um, it's just so long. And that interview that Dave's talking about, which was something like like the movie guys or something like that, I don't think that was all that long ago either. Right, Dave? Did you catch yeah, the year on that? Yeah, he had a white that? beard that was braided. Yeah, uh, yeah white super braided Super long beard. and braided like that. And he was like on some existential like anti establishment stuff but they're stuff, talking though. to him about his favorite movies and he's, he's rattling off like basic persona hour of the persona wolf uh othello Macbeth. he considers faces uh the john cassavetes movie the greatest film of all time and he said that casablanca is the greatest hollywood film of all time but i mean i know dave it was sort of like a joke like yeah he knows more about film than we'll ever know but he actually when he was speaking in that interview he definitely has spent a lot of time thinking about these things and he feels passionately about them and he speaks intelligently about them. So whether you agree with him or not, like the dude really has just loved film for his entire life and immersed himself in it. So I respect that. I like how he just schools everybody on like, he'll just drop some technical shit on like his kids or something or like his mom. And it, Which by it's the a twelve inch black reversal uh, to straight to tape, and he'll just get all technical on him, and he'll just be all stressed out about this time frame. Oh God, it's three twenty now. We're screwed if we don't get this in. And he really like pushes himself the the whole time. I like it when he's in the bed, 
And he's like, oh man, I just need a coffee. Got all those phone calls sitting there. <laughs> it's great. I, it reminds me I, of me. I was hoping that one of you guys would bust out both a Mark Borchardt impression and somebody would do a Mike Shank impression because I'm incapable of either. I didn't get any impressions together for this week, but speaking of the scene where well, where Mark is in bed, my, my favorite thing about uh, where he's in bed was there's a flashlight next to him. He keeps a flashlight in his bed, and I thought for like, what that, purpose? That was the well, that was the smartphone of the '90s. Oh. You might want to read something, I don't know, oh, and her. not get up and like yeah. go turn on the light. So he has his little flashlight there so anytime he wants to script yeah anytime he wants to wake up and look at a script he's got his uh his fleshlight his right right there in the bed a big difference that's a that's a protean i I, I appreciated the way that the movie um really set up how much of a disaster he is Mm. and then they just sort of like snuck in there a little ways in oh by the way he has three kids oh yeah my jaw hit the freaking floor I was like, this guy has three kids? Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, they don't live with him. I like uh, it when so. they're like, would you kids like to make movies when you grow up? And they're like, <laughs> yeah. no, because it takes like 100 hours. <laughs> I really liked how he was like yelling at his mom uh, to get her to film like that one scene. Like she's operating that camera. And he's like. She's like, well, you're out of frame now. I was like, I'm supposed to be out of frame. And like, it's all this stuff. And I'm like, picture. I'm like, is that is that how I talk to my mom? The when funny I'm thing to about that scene is he's you watch him in real time messing it up himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's wrong with that scene that ends up in in Coven is that he changes his position. Well, c- yeah, because he keeps going down, down out too of frame, far. and he's yeah. like berating his yeah. mom and about. She's telling the frame, him about and it. She's telling him everything she says is correct, <laughs> and he starts in frame, and then he, as soon as he starts like doing his screaming or his lines or whatever, he keeps going down accidentally out of frame. It's like <laughs> this guy just cannot get out of his own way. Yeah. But I, well, I mean, you're 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 leaving out the point that his mother was acting as his cinematographer, which is a really <laughs> important start to that setup. And he's, she's always like, "I gotta go get my groceries." Oh, well, she has a, an accent. She's like Swedish. She's Dutch, Swedish, yeah. I think, or something. And uh, he'll be like, "No, ma, I need to you know, I'm get doomed. this done. I'm doomed. I'm doomed. <laughs> I'm doomed if you don't do this, ma." <laughs> I actually really liked the um, the clips of some of the movies that he made when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like I blow up, I blow up looks yeah. awesome. I, I yeah. wish I could it see. It looked better I blow than up. Coven, to I be go- honest. <laughs> I googled that, and the more the scarier, and the more the scarier is like a LGBTQ uh, horror series or something, or drama oh. series. Or it, was, it was a franchise because they show a clip from the more the scarier, and then they show his buddy Mike Shank. Uh, he's like, oh, yeah, I was in the more the scarier three, and then they show that, and it's just yeah. like them drinking and getting killed in a cemetery. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> if anything, this is a story of unfulfilled promise, I think, because he he is obviously dedicated. But my only question, as far as that goes, as far as his dedication, his lifelong commitment to film and all that, it kind of seemed like a little bit played up to me for American movie because. If it wasn't for American movie, he never would have finished Coven. The only reason that he even finished the one movie he's ever made, which was 36 minutes long, the only reason that got done is because he had a film crew following him around and he had to he had you know, to finish he had it to do that, something. Yeah. That escapes you when you watch it though. Yes. Like they yes, do uh, they do make it seem like that's not happening, but I just 
that just uh so he's giving all these speeches about the art and the passion mm, and right. the drive. You know, that's what he lives uh, for. This and that. But sure. he, that's the only movie he ever made. He had somebody yeah. on his ass every day with a camera and he had to perform for them. And then after that, so I don't know. I think you could look at this but the, two the fact, ways, you know? All right. Kevin said that he thinks it's one of the greatest documentaries of all time. And I think a lot of would people uh, would say that. And we've said before, like if you're, you're parodied, parodied on South Park, then you're famous. You're, right. you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And the family guys. Right. But that's American movie, not Coven. That's the, his character. The documentary about is. how he can't make a movie is famous. Coven, we had to watch on, it's called a Putlocker 2021.net. <laughs> By the way, I just want to put that out there. It's, it's P U T L O C K E R. .net. That's where you can watch Coven. So I just want to know how the documentary crew like came about. Like, did they know about him? Were they from the area? Did he reach out to someone and be like, hey, come film me making this movie? You know, the sad thing about this whole fourth wall being broken for me is that I'm picturing now a bunch of condescending hipsters. Yes. Filming yep. these legit metal guys yep. that mm-hmm. are just trying to do their thing. They're trying to be dark and scary, and I respect that. They, they remind me a little bit of the, uh, the death metal, the Norwegian death metal scene. They're primitive techniques. I mean, even, you know, uh, what was it? Like, he should be done like Northwestern because of all the technology that's come. In this movie, he's like cutting audio tape. Not just not just film. They're chopping up audio tape and splicing it together. Like that is like some old technology. You can make Coven in an afternoon now. Exactly. Did you <laughs> yeah. guys see? I don't yes. know if anybody saw Unsane, the Steven Soderbergh movie from just a few years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. I he shot it. the whole thing on an iPhone. Right. So there's really no excuse if you have any resource at all, and it yeah. really is the most important. Well, maybe thing. that's the thing. Maybe next year. Northwestern will come out and it'll be the greatest movie of all time. It's high, highly doubtful. <laughs> I think it was, I don't know, I, it was kind of sad to see the footage from like the original Northwestern because they were all so young and mm. like they just seemed so like, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed and like excited to do I it. I say cute. They were, I mean, they were, Mike was cute. He was a cutie. Mike I would have smooched him. But you know, but I I don't know. But it was just kind of, it was just sad to then like go and look at them now. You know, they look much older than thirty because that footage was already old Mm -hmm. at the time of the filming. And I think that Dave raised uh, an interesting point. You could look at this American movie as being somewhat exploitative Mm -hmm. of you know, where you mentioned like the hipsters come in, like oh, you know, you're kind of turning this very regular working class guy into this like sort of spectacle and you go and win the grand jury prize at the Sundance Film Festival which is you know how American movie kind of blew up and you walk away and and Chris Smith has gone on to do stuff that your average household person could have easily seen you could you could look at it as sort of capitalizing and, and sort of making like a, a zoo um, a zoo exhibit out of Mark and out of his family and out mm-hmm. of his friends. I mean, it's very intimate. You have, you watch Uncle Bill essentially die through the movie, mm-hmm. who's, yeah, probably my favorite character. It's either him or Ken Keen. I love Kenny. <laughs> I I'll, do too. Ken I love Keen. Him. So good <laughs> yes. 
Um, but I, th- I think that's another angle you could you could possibly take. Well, I mean, Cat wanted to know how how this came about. So Chris Smith, the director, somehow met Mark Borchard while he was editing his first film, American Job. And apparently Mark like talked his ear off and Chris Smith was like, I got to check this out. And the movie would go on to win the Grand Jury Prize uh, at Sundance for documentary in 99. And like you said, Trent, yeah, this guy's gone on to do the Fire Festival doc, the Madeline McCann series on Netflix, which is fantastic. Oh. He's done some pretty like legit stuff. I still don't think he was exploiting Mark at all. I really think that he he made this sort of like mock documentary American job and then had like a real life version of what he was was trying to do fall in his right. lap. Right. And was like, hey, guys, you want to go roll film on these people? And I, at no point did I get like that. Like Bill might have been hamming it, hamming it up at times. He definitely there was, was a and I love it. in his face. <laughs> but yeah. that's what you expect from you know. Bill is his is Mark's elderly uh, uncle, and by by Mark's family standards, Bill's the rich guy. And I don't know what exactly that means. Uh, but Bill is simultaneously one of the most entertaining, but also one of the saddest characters to watch in the entire film. And when it got to like Mark bathing him scene oh, no, um, yeah. this wasn't the only, sad the only, i didn't think that was sad this was the greatest I, thanksgiving I of nice. all time <laughs> is what it fucking was they had turkey they had peas carrots potatoes yeah bill uncle bill asked for a knife and you know how quickly mark got him that knife yeah and and he bathed the man and he had peach schnapps and he sang songs and it was yeah, beautiful yeah, yeah like i thought it was great well, that's one of the one of the ways that Uncle Bill is introduced is by Mark's dad, Cliff, and he says in the movie, Uncle Bill is notoriously tight with his money. It's really hard to ever shake anything out of him, but Mark just has this way of 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 getting to him. And mm. I thought it was like a very sweet relationship where Mark did go and get him and pick him up for Thanksgiving and bring him over and give him a bath and give him his uh, schnapps with Sprite yeah. and make sure that he was you know, hanging out with people and spending time, you kind of got this feeling that even though Bill is kind of losing his senses a little bit, there was enough poet in him. You know, he's reading his songs, he's singing and stuff. And I felt like there was enough in him to recognize that this kind of black sheep of the family, this, this Mark guy who wants to make these movies, like I like him and he's, he's got something that maybe the other people don't have that even in his waning days he can appreciate. And he did, Put up the three three thousand dollars, I believe it is for for Coven, mm-hmm. and Mark would end up selling. It was over his goal was or his goal was three thousand copies to make Bill's money back. He sold like over four thousand, maybe more now. You can actually buy Coven directly from Mark uh, in DVD if you choose to do so. Um, but he then left he left Mark more money in his will. So I, I thought that was really the proof of the pudding that. Their relationship was mm-hmm. was real. Speaking of money, this movie did make 1.2 mil at the box office. I have no idea what what cut of that was Mark Borchard's, but it that's pretty good money. I mean, by you know paying three thousand dollars for Coven and then raking in 1.2 mil. Well, yeah, with, that, uh, that's American what American movie. movie made. Yeah, not what Coven. Made. Um, yeah, not Coven. Sorry. Yeah, to to clarify, but like Dave was talking about. Uh, the greatest Thanksgiving ever, and obviously we're spending some time with Uncle Bill when uh, when Mark says like cinema, and Bill looks at me and goes cinnamons, <laughs> <laughs> and then it, and then later it cuts to like Uncle Bill just lying on the floor on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> I feel like Uncle Bill, you know, like when I hang around with like Cat, even Caitlin, and like Ben, 
You know, I, I feel like Uncle Bill and I I I, I strive for that. Like mm. when I'm old like that, I want to be hanging around metalhead filmmakers and doing some crazy shit. And it was so cool that that's what he was. He was like a very, very elderly man, like almost dead, mm. chilling with these metalheads out like making horror movies. It's it's awesome. Yeah. I think my favorite um, Uncle Bill quote was, I don't have dreams anymore. <laughs> There's so many. Oh, he's, no. he's so quotable. Oh my god! I just want to get that. Like, I want to. I want to cross stitch that and like put it up in my living room. <laughs> like for sort of multiple live, sales to home. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those lines That'll like. be the day. He, Uncle Bill is a guy that he has a pessimistic line for mm. everything. I, I love when they're at the diner it. and he says. Nice day if it doesn't rain. <laughs> just out of nowhere, like, why would you? And then he cracks himself up forever. Yeah, like, and then he kind of side-eyes the camera. He's kind of doing... He knows. He knows. Yeah. He's being yeah. the grumpy, yeah. senile uncle, and he yeah. knows that that's his role in the movie, and he's he's well, doing it. That's what I wanted to talk about before, is that the movie reveals slowly that Uncle Bill is actually sharp. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that he's, like, spot on. He knows everything that's going on. So the thought that he's outsmart outsmarted by mark is like preposterous he knows yes. what's yeah. going on i agree Two hundred and eighty thousand bucks like, and he's like <laughs> if, if it's true i don't know like he doesn't know you know and when and uh, i also like when mike wins the lottery of oh. uh, multiple times but the first time he's like all smiles and he doesn't want to tell anyone because that he won 50 bucks because they'll want to borrow it yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh. They get him down in the basement. I don't want those guys to know I won fifty dollars on scratch tickets today. You know, Mike. Mike is in recovery. He's in AA. He doesn't drink. He doesn't drug anymore. But he does scratch tickets. And the most amazing thing about Mike Shank is that he seems to have dosed himself straight. That that's the impression. Yeah. Like he took so much acid mm-hmm. that yes. he could only end up straight. And now he's never going to drink or do drugs yeah. again. His, he has the he has the the greatest quote, and he always has like this sort of like perma grin on. Yeah, so and he, he's he's like uh, he's talking about how like the, his scratch tickets in the lottery is better than like the drugs and alcohol. And he's like, because when you use drugs or alcohol, especially drugs, you always lose. And then he smiles, and I'm like, <laughs> like you're what? totally still I doing guess. drugs, or you're just permanently fucked up. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, you know, you're, he's addicted to scratch tickets, but hey, sometimes he hits it. With drugs and alcohol, you never hit it. You're mm-hmm. just always paying out. It's like I picture like the the more you know, like boom. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's leading the local dare chapter. Oh, I'd but let him. but back to Bill. Bill has the best scene in the movie. The scene where Bill's in the car trying to remember his lines <sighs> is other than Mike is is the totally the show stealer with his like little like he'll fly in and just provide provide comedic relief and very profound outlooks on life at the same time the scene with bill in the car is i kept watching that over and over again to be like i'm laughing this time this time it makes me upset i'm laughing again now it's unbelievable and bill's totally not playing that up for the camera Mm -mm. um we talked about uh kenny keen a little bit mark's childhood friend he's kind of like the kind of guy he's not is um as interesting necessarily on the surface maybe as mike shank but he's like the other partner in crime they've been friends since they were little kids and there's one scene in the movie where they go pick up kenny from jail and it's not revealed why he's in jail but i just love the poor guy he walks out of jail he's got all his stuff in a clear plastic bag and the car rolls up 
with the film crew. And the first thing Kenny says is, could we get any more people involved in this? And I just like to ask you guys, if you ever do have occasion to pick me up from jail, can you not bring a film crew? Like, just come get me and then take me to the I film want crew. It. I want it. <laughs> Like well, you just pointed it out, Trent. We can just do it on our iPhone. We don't need a film. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, right. We'll be I'm on Instagram. Instagram live it. We're like, here we are, getting Trent. Well, I did appreciate when they ask Mark, in, in American Movie, he's asked what are his biggest influences, mm-hmm. and he says Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And, I mean, that's exactly what I would say those would be even though two are from the same filmmaker it doesn't matter dawn of the dead night of the living dead texas chainsaw massacre that's kind of like that is a very respectable like holy trinity answer for a guy making a horror movie i did i'd like to point out that like like i'm an old school metalhead like i'm supposed to look like those guys i just fight it as hard as i can (laughs) like i'm supposed to talk like that i'm supposed to be all of that those are my parents that's my family um I really appreciate um, the the cover of D by Ozzy Osbourne, played by Randy Rhodes, but in play, played by Rand, Mike Shank in this. You guys know D? It's on Blizzard of Oz. It's an instrumental by Randy Rhodes. No. It's like a very difficult piece of music that metalheads learn. It's a rite of passage when you're getting Guitar World magazine and you're reading the tablature inside and learning the solos. This sol- This piece is very very complicated as well as the classical music that he plays throughout it but he's a really really good guitar player that's how i felt when he he plays fight fire with fire by metallica from the ride the lightning album and that you know that was like i learned how to play guitar primarily through metallica i could play all those it's like now i really couldn't play much that's difficult but i could still play creeping death and you know harvester of sorrow and whatever metallica song you want to name yeah, I learned guitar on uh, Nirvana Nevermind, so I suck. <laughs> I can't play the guitar. I thought it was quaint when they were flyering campus. Dave, you, <laughs> you remember flyering campus? I do, You yeah. could actually print up a bunch of pieces of paper and put them around campus. And, and you looked like they looked. Yeah, and it, it wasn't campus. just littering. It was like people would actually see a fly. Oh, well, what's this? There's an event happening near me. I wonder what it is. Maybe I'll take an interest, mm. take a flyer, so to speak. Wow, those were the days. But like walking on the campus, uh, you know, looking as sketchy as these guys do, I've been the guy h- hanging flyers on a campus where everyone's like, who are those guys? They, they don't want to go to your show. They don't want to go to your movie <laughs> premiere. They just want you to not be there because they feel unsafe. Stapling so, things to trees. <laughs> handing them things unsolicited. So everybody watched Coven, right? Did you guys all watch Coven? Yes. Unfortunately, yes. yes. Let's go. I want to go around the horn. Kevin, what okay. did you think of Coven? <laughs> so I watched Coven before I watched American right. Movie. Weird. <laughs> Weird. So, so awesome. I, have a, I have a very, like, I think I have a unique perspective on this. And I actually, like, enjoyed Coven. It's ridiculous. Oh. It's it's not good, but 
I liked it. It was entertaining as hell. And then I went back and watched it after watching American Movie, knowing exactly what it took to make this movie. And I liked it even more. I mean, look, he, he kind of did what he set out to do. And I know in like the interview I talked about his like favorite movies, that he doesn't even mention Night of the Living Dead or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But like you can pick up on those vibes. You can pick up on things he's like ripping off. Um, it, it, it's just as funny unintentionally funny um as it is you know a horror movie but hey i i have to i have to give props like i don't think like dave said that like northwestern is going to be like this epic amazing like the shining or something um but i would like to see it finish because i mean props to him for sort of making the movie that he was talking about the whole time but then that's it (laughs) and that and that is 36 minutes it it, you, you know what because it's 36 minutes it doesn't really take a whole lot out of your life. And I think if you're a, a, an American movie fan, you're going to like Coven. You're going to appreciate it a different way. I guess I, despite having not seen American movie, I knew what it was about. Uh, so I had a little bit of context, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, like when you when you watch like the head through the cabinet scene in Coven. No, <laughs> the my first God. Time, and then like you go that then you watch American movie after and yeah. you see the yeah, making okay. of the, the head yeah, through the okay. cabinet scene. It's, yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, my God. I, I, I was kind of wishing I was wishing I had that experience because we started talking about American movie and I hadn't I didn't really realize that Kevin hadn't seen it. And he started watching Coven after that was dug up on potlocker2021.net <laughs> Kevin just started watching that first and he was like what the hell am I watching I kind of I kind of wish that I actually had that experience too Dave mm-hmm. you didn't like Coven you're sneering at Coven no no I'm not I mean it's like um I I used to date a, a film major girl and I used to go to these like uh college film presentations and this reminded me of like the best one at one of those (laughs) like it was it's like the best damnation land film right it's kind of like on that level uh very much Uh, although i'd say i'd argue that damnation land uh is better even damnation land being a local horror film festival it's been annual in portland maine for the last several years i don't know i haven't seen anything this year so usually it's october i would think we would be hearing something by now but damn damnation land if if you're in the portland maine area you definitely know cat you watched coven i did you you, you braved the site your computer didn't crash my it's a perfectly iPhone's safe still site here, i should yeah. point out well you know it took a little while to load i was a little nervous about that i was, was like maybe i won't link. sketchy link yeah um it's definitely a movie that's for sure um i will say that luckily it's a short one uh, the acting, obviously impeccable. Really, they all just had it really nailed down. Uh, real fun, real like uh, Oscar-worthy uh, uh, stuff going on. Um, as is it very easy to f- understand what is going on? It's not. I had no idea what was going on for most of it, to be honest. I understood like the whole, you know, I will say the parallels between... Um, you know, the main character slash actor slash filmmaker, uh, Mark, uh, were interesting. And I felt uh, like they were very, you know, kind of self-reflective in that Definitely. he was an alcoholic. And obviously he thought that going to AA would just be like a cult 
and like be the devil like the worst thing that could you could ever do but it's i it's pretty transparent as a metaphor yeah <laughs> absolutely oh you know it's not like i'm i'm bringing up all these points here it's not like i'm the only one that's thought about this but i did like that aspect because as a child i was forced to go to my mother's um aa meetings with her so it felt jealous uh, yeah <laughs> i loved oh coven God. i thought coven was I'm, great i liked coven i just it's, as much or more than an American movie. But. Okay, listen, I I just want that 36 minutes of my life back. Oh, wow. No Is all way. I want, no. okay? Yeah. Get out of it. Even after watching American movie? Y- yes, because I feel like I didn't really need to watch Coven uh, after watching American movie. Oh, wow. Look, he, I, did I, want it, he didn't want it to rhyme with oven. That's why he called it I Coven. I respect the uh, art and the effort put into this all on film all analog everything production i mean as just technically uh i think he did a good job with what he was using to film this on and everything and it looks kind of cool but uh you know the the writing's a little bit weird i really liked coven and this is the story of uh, a struggling writer who has a drug and alcohol problem you see much more of the drugs in coven than you do in american movie it made me wonder how much was going on outside the camera in american movie because they're happy to show all the alcohol abuse but they don't really show any drugs and yet in coven mark plays the main character named mike this is kind of a josh rubin deal Mark um, wrote, directed, produced, and stars in Coven. So he kind of plays like a version, I guess, of himself as this struggling alcoholic. He's trying to write, and he is uh, accosted, I guess, his friend wants him to go to the the AA group and get him involved in some self-help. And the self-help group turns out to be much darker, and the movie is kind of like a rejection of the cultish aspects of group mm. therapy and AA and self-help and like I said it's it's all fairly transparent I liked that he named himself Mike in the movie which is his best friend Mike's <laughs> Mike Shank's name who would end up in recovery in AA now this is years later but yes. like he makes this movie about how that's all garbage and then his best friend ends up in the program in the documentary movie I also noticed that the lead, one of the lead actors Tom he in most of Coven he has a full beard Mm-hmm. And the only scene where he doesn't have a full beard is that one, the kitchen scene where he gets his head put through the cabinet that they show the filming of in American movies. So, again, it's like he busted out all this old footage to fulfill the obligations of the documentary. And then he just like it didn't seem like he really filmed that much new stuff for the documentary. It's mm-hmm. obviously most of it was already in the can. Again, I wonder. You know, how much of this is like um, an an affirmation of outsider art and how much of it is kind of exposing a guy who, like his own brother said, who is probably my, maybe my third favorite character, Mark's brother, Alex, who who, (laughs) who says the best tool is his mouth and that he can just talk aggressive and he's like very forceful, but really he should work in a factory and he always thought that maybe Mark would kill him. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the guy maybe. Who says he'd probably grow up to kill someone? You know, his, his view might turn out to to be the most realistic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've always said that uh, my best tool is my mouth. <laughs> oh wow. my! God. I noticed that character never blinks. 
but Mike Shank makes up for it like so hard. <laughs> poor poor <laughs> he, Alex has really very wide eyes. He's very serious, very somber. He's not a guy that he's would. He's in like a sweater. He, he doesn't hair. understand yeah. any of this stuff. He's like, I'm done. The whole opening with that weird music and they show the scarecrows yeah, and exactly. you've already the seen how that went slant, down. Man. I and love that. That yeah, really that. worked to me. I love the um, the AA, the group meeting scenes were great. I thought those were very well done. Mm-hmm. It looks like hell. It's a terrible mm-hmm. looking movie. I don't know how you shoot black and white and you have it like so poorly lit <sighs> or if it's overexposed film or like what happened, but it, it mostly looks terrible. But I still really, really liked Coven. I, I thought that it stood on its own. And I'm sad that that was the last thing that he finished because I think it really does show a lot of potential. I thought it was easy to understand. And I thought it moved really well and was paced well. I thought the acting performances for a bunch of local playhouse people was like really good. Um, I, I enjoyed Coven as much as American Movie. I really liked the, the scream scenes where they had to overdub screams. <laughs> And everyone has to go into the sound booth and just scream. And uh, I appreciated that. You should do something like that. Yeah, I appreciated that Mark, just as a filmmaker, that he did understand, you know, he knew what he was doing. And again, I wonder how much he was hamming for the cameras because he went back and he recorded the dialogue again. Like, that's something that if you're just like a total rank amateur, you, you probably wouldn't know that. Yeah, you have to go back on these scenes and he does do it. He gets the people to redo their lines and do them. He has the one guy do it in the bathroom because that's where the scene takes place in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So it gets the same echo and it works. Then when you watch Coven, you're like, oh, yeah, that yeah. He, he did that. And, I actually and he did didn't it well. think too much. I watched it on my phone the first time I watched it, but I didn't think too much about the audio being overdubbed when I watched Coven. Well, also, uh, in, in in Coven at the end, in the end credits, Chris Smith and Sarah Price, who made American Movie, are thanked. And I, it made me wonder how much of what he's doing in American Movie, how much of the equipment that he's using for Coven was just borrowed from Chris mm. Smith and Sarah Price. Oh, like, no. oh, I they're bet. already I filming, bet. right? That's his stuff. You can see the gear that he's using. and it's. I like don't know. When he's got primitive. when he's got that big mic pointed at uh, Uncle Bill, oh, he just yeah. borrowed that mic yeah. from Chris. Oh, for you know sure. he yeah. just uh-huh. got that from the film crew that's already filming. <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, I thought that went without saying. That well, speaking of outsider art and amateur filmmakers, <laughs> the four of us have all, I, I assume, we all, I haven't heard everybody's pitch yet. Kevin, I, I haven't heard your pitch. We, we've all decided that we should think about what we would make if we were going to make a horror movie ourselves, if we were going to be the Mark Borchard of our own podcast, what we would come up with, what that would look like, what it would sound like, and what it would be. Kevin, can you give us a pitch? Oh, wait, I thought I was, like, recording it. Well, I don't, are you? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you have you have a recorded pitch. No, I I, I I'm going to work go- on it. You're going to have a recorded pitch. <laughs> Me too. Yes. See, this is already so perfect. It's very American movie. It, hey, <laughs> man. Very- hey man. I need a little time, man. I will hey, man. be making it. Well, maybe Look, man. Maybe you could uh can you Oh shit, it's almost 9:30. <laughs> Oh, we got to get these in. I got to get my 12-pack of PBR and watch the Packers game. Yeah, actually, That's Mark really Borchardt, and maybe I'm Mike Shank. Well, can now you... Now I'm thinking you, differently, uh, like, I can't speak too good. <laughs> and you're, like, running, the, you know, the whole thing. And you're always stressed about all these technical things. 
I think can that, I get a witness? I think it's an open <laughs> question on Speak All Evil who would be who in American movie. She's Ken Keen <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kevin, can you can you give us an elevator pitch? Do you, can you tell us uh, a little bit about your idea? I have two. I have two that I'm mulling over okay. right now. Let's hear. Um, so so one is based on a true story. One night, we had uh, recently bought our house, and we were our, our bedroom is on the second floor, and uh, the house had a basement, and we were literally just reading and like falling asleep, and we heard like a bunch of like racket, like in like a little stand of woods near our house, and we we're like, what the hell is that? So we fall asleep, and at about two o'clock in the morning, both of our doors downstairs are being pounded on. So like we wake up, like we're like, what the hell? So we come downstairs and we realize it's both doors. So Allison's like, I'll take the back door, you get the front door, and we see that it's the cops. So Allison opens the door, I open my door, and a cop is immediately like dragging me outside. Like, you need to get out of the house, get outside right now. And so he's asking me questions like, what were you guys doing tonight? Like, what's going on? And I was like, we were just sleeping. Like, I'm in boxers and a t-shirt, and it's like, I think like February, so it's a little cold in Maine. And he's like, yeah, well, we get a 911 call from your house. And I was like, okay, well, we didn't call 911. He's like, yeah, we got a 911 call from a phone, a landline uh, linked to this address. I was like, well, I'm calling bullshit because we don't have a landline. And so I realized that the cop out front is now asking Allison, like, are you getting beat up? Like, what's going on? And the cop that I have, like, I keep working on him. And finally, I get him to admit Okay, it was a cell phone. We can't really triangulate those, but it was like when we triangulated the 911 call, it was like right here at your house. It's like, okay, well, none of us called 911. So eventually, like, we worked this whole thing out. The cops go away. They're, they were very, very stupid and unprofessional, and I typically love our city's cops. Uh, so we go to bed, and we're, like, talking, and we're like, what if someone is in the basement and just called 911? And now they're going to kill us because the cops came and the cops left. The call's coming from inside the house. Exactly. So, so do you have a title? Yeah, a little bit. What's that? Do you have a title? I do not. That was chilling and spellbinding. I loved that performance of it. I think it should be told just like that. I got chills. I was actually scared. I think that that is your pitch, maybe with a little here and a little there. Uh, it might be kind of cool. I, that was really scary. Good job. Mm. All right, great. So I'm I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm not gonna say my other idea because every time I do, Allison laughs like belly laughs at how stupid it is. So no, let's hear it. On. Yeah. Let's hear it. What I mean, we got time. It's very basic and it needs a lot of fleshing out. I picture it sort of ending up like the mist, which I know you hate, Trent. But I'm just talking more like you know what happens. So, like you're sitting around and you're watching the clock. You're like already kind of nervous and paranoid. The world's a little bit on edge. So you get to 6 o'clock, you, you, and you're watching the clock. You get to 6.59, and you're like, oh, it's going to be 7 o'clock. Well, then the clock just turns to 6.60, and then it turns to 6.61 and 6.62. And now you have this existential dread. What is going to happen when the clock turns to 6.66? Oh, nice. I like that idea. Yeah, I like both. All right. I'm, 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 I'm into it. <laughs> Dave, you have a pitch for us. You you recorded a little something, but yes. maybe you can give us the elevator pitch and then we'll play what you've got. 
Well, it's actually, it's very similar to an elevator in that it's a metal box, um, but it's called the dumpster. And the tagline is, take out the trash before it takes out you. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a story of greed and Satan. The dumpster. Take out the trash before it takes out you. A teenage boy sitting on a bicycle looks at the address on a business card. The space recording studio, he says aloud. He smiles and jams the card into the pocket of his dungarees and pedals away. He arrives at the studio and sees a crotchety man with long gray hair nearly to his fanny pack, prying at one end of a giant mixing board. I'm Dave. You must be Ben, the intern. Give me a hand getting this in that dumpster over there, snarled the man whose posture reminded Ben of a banana that's too ripe even for banana bread. A few feet from the studio's entrance is a large metal box covered in Halloween orange rust and blood-red lead paint. A chain is pulled tight across the top with a heavy lock that reads, Master, out with the old and in with the new, sung the old rocker like it were the lyrics to a song Ben was supposed to know. Everyone uses Pro Tools these days, he croaked with pride. Lenny the Lady Killer Nelson recorded his last record on this mixing board before he got the death penalty for killing all those people. Ben had no idea who Lenny the Lady Killer Nelson was, but nodded and helped hoist one end of the board onto the lip of the metal box. They heaved the board forward, and a loud reverberated clang shook Ben's teeth as it landed inside. Ben felt sick. His mouth tasted metallic, and his stomach felt hollow. Some say he sold his soul to the devil. He was killing all the groupies and fanboys for the man downstairs, if you know what I mean. And in return, hit records. It also didn't hurt that anytime someone talented came along, they just happened to turn up missing. Ben stared into the dumpster and realized he'd been holding his breath for some time. Anywho, I'll show you around the studio, and then I'll give you a crash course in the only piece of musical equipment you'll need to use from now on. Auto-tune. You smoke weed? Sometimes, Ben answered quietly, distracted, walking backwards, still staring into the dumpster. The master lock now lay on the ground beside the chain, and Ben wondered what purpose they actually served. To keep something in, or keep something out. So basically, it's a dumpster possessed by an old blues legend that requires human sacrifices for hit records. The dumpster will have like eerie lights and a smoke machine inside it, and the lid will look like a mouth going up and down. And it like eats mumble rappers, bad singers, yes men, groupies, EDM artists, and stuff like that. Uh, that are all lured to the studio by Ben and Dave. Um, until Dave gets power hungry and decides he's not too old to be a star and tries to kill Ben for fame. In a moment of desperation, Ben throws the autotune into the dumpster, and Dave gets eaten by the dumpster while diving in to save it. Ben chains and locks the dumpster during the commotion. Cut to one week later. The studio door opens, and students exit the building carrying violins, saxophones, sheet music, etc. Slow pan out to reveal a sign on the building that reads, Ben's Conservatory of Music. It continues panning out, and we see the dumpster being taken away by a large truck. As the truck backs up, we see the license plate on the truck read, Lady Killer, as it drives away. Roll credits.
Oh, that was amazing. Wow. 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 Loved it. I was clapping for myself. It was so good. Cat, <laughs> give us a pitch. You're in the room right now I've with got producers. A pitch. What's your pitch? This is my pitch. All right. So, you know how there are some bars and or restaurants that people specifically go to to be berated by the staff. Maybe that's what they get off on. Maybe they just think it's funny. My idea is that you go to a bar and instead of being berated or like made fun of, for any transgressions you might make, you're just blown away. AKA, you get murdered. Maybe you get a shotgun to the chest. Maybe you get a little poison in your drink. You don't know. Maybe you don't even know that you fucked up. But um, this is the this is the whole thing. So it's like, oh, everybody, we're going to this bar tonight. Can't wait. Maybe we'll get murdered. Who knows? I don't know. Can I just like, can I just get something fruity? Yeah, this doesn't taste like an old-fashioned. What's your cheapest beer? What do you mean I can't get in without my ID? Hey, sorry, I just spilt beer all over the pool table. Uh, yeah, can I get another one? Hey, excuse me. Sorry, I don't have enough money for a tip. But that's like the whole, you know, sweet. it's like a Sweeney Todd, um bartender's revenge situation like someone comes in and they're like yeah i'd like a cape cod and the bartender says it's a two ingredient drink you should just say vodka crayon and then you get (laughs) blown in the face okay i love it what happens if you if it's crowded Mm -hmm. it's like really busy Mm -hmm. and the, the servers are like backed up you know and they're yeah. running around and then you order something that requires muddling oh um you get muddled in the face um you get that beautiful fresh mint, steel fresh trap through the eyeball and then maybe a baseball bat too i'll muddle someone with a baseball Warren bat for Pestle sure would be a great weapon good yeah i like it thank I, you do you have a title oh yes uh the title is what'll you have Ah, all right. Ah, mm. yes, I like. Thank you, thank you. Uh, well, I did. I have a little pitch of my own. I I started uh, trying to write a screenplay like three years ago. Uh, I've never written a screenplay, but I got really into this idea that I had about an evil yoga instructor and wannabe influencer. And I actually bought a book about screenwriting, like a how-to book. And I started writing. I almost brought my binder tonight, uh, my screenplay binder. And uh, I followed the book's instructions, like, step by step. It was really informative and really helpful. It really helped me. I did a lot of research. I did a lot of, like, background sketching of the characters and the and the, the location and the backstory and all this stuff. And um, so I kind of worked on it, like, pretty seriously. But then I got to a point where... I got hung up, and one thing that the screenplay writing book really illuminated for me was a principle that in the book it's called the time of the tale versus the time of the telling. So the time of the tale is like how much time you're trying to cover in your story. Are you talking about a day, a month, a year? What, what is the time span of the story 
And then what is the amount of time that you have to tell the story? And this book recommended, like, as a general, a very broad guideline, like one screenwriting page per minute of movie time. So if you have a 90-page screenplay, you're shooting for a 90-minute movie, and you've got to think about how much time you can cover in 90 pages of a screenplay. So I was kind of thinking, like, my idea was more of like a a longer, like a six-month time of tale. Mm -hmm. And I realized at that point that I'd gone this far, but there was no way I could possibly, like, write a six-month story in a, like, 90-page or... 120 page at most screenplay that I had to like totally I had to change my story at that point it was too long like I'm not going to write as a first time screenwriter like Black Swan or something which was kind of a a model for my idea so that really like derailed the whole thing and it's just been sitting there but I think about it all the time and I made a little audio trailer for my movie which is called Namaste tagline karma's a bitch and it's about an evil yogi, like I said. Um, I'm going to play my little uh, trailer that I made. But just so you know, I already have... Uh, this is a franchise thing. Mm. I-, I could see like a whole series of Namaste movies, okay? Um, the second one would be called Namaste 2 Mantra. And then <laughs> the I third one... I mantra instead of mantra. I say mantra. Well, that's kind of like a, I like the, the character says mantra. Yeah. Is it mantra? I don't yeah. know. I like, <laughs> do yoga. It's very, very uh, American movie. Mantra. <laughs> very COVID. I guess I didn't do enough research. I did a lot of yoga research, but not enough to pronounce mantra correctly. Mm. Uh, but then the third one is called Namaste 3. Lotus operandi. Wow. Oh, so <laughs> okay. A, a long shelf life. So yeah. here we go. Can I give you an idea for the fourth, uh, the Please. fourth title? I, I would love one. Um, d- what, uh, what was it? Namaste for corpse pose. Oh, corp. That's wow. that's. I was gonna. Yeah. I already, yeah. Yes, corpse pose. Uh, yeah, that no, would you, be. You had a chance to say. I, it, did I, I didn't, didn't tell you that. No. Yeah, that would be Namaste Four Corpse Pose. Oh. So you can see that this goes but on and are, on. Absolutely. And you could have different yogis take over. Like I think in Namaste, Karma's a bitch. The the original. At the end, the seduced young gal who gets into the the yoga cult, she might actually kill mm-hmm. the evil yogi mm-hmm. and then herself become mm. the yogi for Namaste Two Mantra, and so on. Well, I thought of a, a thing Mantra. where. You could have a uh, to get over your six month thing. Yeah, um, you could establish a, a, a flashback. I actually I didn't think about the flashback thing. My my problem was that the idea was that for someone to get indoctrinated into a cult would take like more than a weekend. And one of the things that I discovered in, in the process of like trying to like seriously think about doing this was that a lot of movies like first time filmmakers. Like, they only try to do, like, a day or two days. A lot of first-time films are a short period of time for that reason. Like, I think of Hush, the Mike Flanagan film, which I think is still on Netflix. It's, like, one night. So you're, you're not trying to yeah. bite off too the, the much. The Strangers. Strangers, same thing. Right. Those, those kinds of ideas where you're not trying to, like, cover all of this time. Like, you can't just indoctrinate somebody into a cult in one weekend. So mm-hmm. that, that was where but, I got well, yeah, have you seen? Have you not seen Midsummer? But what you have I'm to your advantage Oscar. is these characters, uh, like your your main character, uh, they're pushy and they're fast friends. Yes. So it could yes. take 
it could be just a you week. You could condense it. And That's it's like true. Every night she's trying to do something. Let's like come over for. That's uh, a good point. Like you could have uh, food that they eat too. That's like. Have really you guys seen uh, Homewrecker on Shutter? Yes, I have. I liked Homewrecker. I haven't yeah. seen that. That's a good point. Part of the story is the the vapid and shallow nature mm-hmm. of all the characters involved. So that's a good point. It could be that kind of like that fast dedication, that phony. A big part of it would be like the whole Instagram influencer thing. So that would American Psycho vibes. Interesting. With mm-hmm. a little competition on the tofu and the mm. organic yeah. whatever. It's like Lululemon. Yeah. fed this and that. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good point. In a world where appearance is everything. Who's this little hottie? And nothing is as it seems. Hi, I'm Callie. You must be new in town. Come by my yoga studio tomorrow. I'll show you around. Ava, did you find a job today? Tim, I told you. I don't know what to do. I just feel so lost here. I don't know anyone. I'm just looking for anything. Come on, Ava. We're going out tonight. And then you're going to take my class tomorrow. you party all night every night and still teach your yoga classes it's easy take these i'll show you a mantra ava get up i want you to stay away from that yoga studio no more cali and no more classes i I don't know what happened last night i missed you in class today are you practicing your positions does everyone in this town take your yoga classes only if they know what's good for them Hashtag yoga every damn day. I'm dying. This summer. I don't want to transcend anymore. Nothing can prepare you. You need to do some energy work. Practice mindful intent. For the chakra. Please. Of your life. Please leave. Namaste. Namaste. Karma's a bitch. Beautiful. Thanks, guys. Thanks. I want to get up during the credits. Great (laughs) acting. If I could, maybe not end, but I do want to have a trivia session. Okay, let's do it. So somebody on IMDb took the time to watch American movie and count the amount of times that Mark Borchard says man. So wow. I want everybody to guess right now how many times he says man. I know the answer, so I, I shan't to be guessing. 2,000. Cat? 69. I, I would have counted the dudes because there are a lot <laughs> of dudes. <laughs> I'll but do that. I'll do that next. If I'm going to go man, I would say in American movie... Mark says, man, I'll go a little bit under. I'll say 50 times. 151 times. Wow. wow. So by Price is Right Dave, rules. Wait. No, Dave went over. Who wins? I, I, I win. Cat uh, wins. You went over. Nuh-uh. Oh, no, you, you won. By Price is Right rules. Wow. 69. Thank you. Now I get a round of applause. Thank you. Yes. Okay, next. Y- you get a copy of Coven. <laughs> no! <laughs> Oh, oh, that's it. That, that, oh, that, that was, was my uh, <laughs> I did want to say... Congratulations, Kat. Thank you very much. 
I did want to say I will be expecting that we will all get shirts from Kevin that say, uh, what was it, like, cut real here? Like, the one that Mark was wearing yes. for, like, the last half yes. of the yes. film? Yes, splice real here. He <laughs> That's has the shirt on yeah. with the arrow pointing up. Kevin, I hope you're on top of that. Yeah, I assumed you'd already had them on order. Look and... at him, he's dialing it up right now. Yeah. You can see. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Shotgun blast. <laughs>